Simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Lynn Carson with a PhD in grain sciences. Sharing knowledge and helping you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked in Science Podcast. Hi, listeners. Welcome to this episode of Building a Successful Bakery and Business. You're going to be inspired today after our podcast. I promise. I am Lynn Carson, CEO, founder of Bakerpedia, and I'm trying something new today. I'm asking Ninka, my friend, to read the commercial roles because I think for once, it's nice to hear someone else. Ninka. This podcast is sponsored by Middleby Bakery Group. Founded by Joseph Middleby and John Marshall in 1888 as a bakery supplier, the company has grown significantly to include brands like Spooner Vickers, Odo Bake, Stewart Systems, Baker Thermal Solutions, and Burford. If you're looking for industrial baking equipment solutions, visit their website at middlebybakerygroup.com. And here we are today with Mark Salman, president of Middleby Food Processing. Hi, Mark. Hey, Lynn, how are you? Thanks for getting me down here to view a day of um, activities at the Bakery Innovation Center. Mark, tell me what you do at Middleby Food Processing. I'm having fun. That's, (laughs) you know, my title is president of the Middleby Food Processing. So I run the bakery group, also the protein group, and we have a packaging, small packaging group. So these are... 18 leading brands in the world manufacturing different equipment. In bakery, it's eight brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are Otto Bake, Burford, Baker Thermal, Spooner Vickers, Stewart, Svebadalen, very mix. You know, some are European known, very known in Europe, and some are less known in the US. Sounds like in order to be successful in a position like yours, you need to have some kind of bakery experience in your past. Tell me a little bit about your past and what's your bakery experience. Right, so I think I got a lot of uh, years in the bakery, not because of a job, but more because of passion. So I started a couple of different bakeries. I started retail and wholesale. I failed in the retail. I I did pretty well in the wholesale. Retail is hard to do. Retail is it. very hard. And, and I learned one lesson is you cannot, you know, you can't do two things at the same time and be very good at both. Correct. So, uh, so yeah, I had my own business for, for many years, 20 years, uh, and then sold it in 2003 and then got into some uh, industrial bakery projects overseas in emerging market and then... Recently, I jumped to the other side, to the side that I used to hate, which are the equipment manufacturer. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to straighten these guys and make them really listen better to the bakers. So the moral of the story is never say you're never going to do that, right? You, you bet. But at <laughs> least you can do it from a perspective that you were once on the other side. Don't ever, ever take advantage of your baker. Always really give them what they need, not what you make. What was the biggest thing about your previous baking business that really taught you 
much about the baking industry. And you had your bakery in D.C., is that correct? Right. It was outside Washington, D.C. Uh, it was a specialty bakery, French bakery. Uh, we used to supply all the... Uh, you know, high-end uh, restaurants, hotels, and, and, you know, grocery stores. And what so, did that teach you about the baking industry? So, first of all, the industry is made of very good people. Really, people are not arrogant. People are simple. They are passionate about what they do. So I always loved the bakery, you know, the, the, the bakers, per se. They're very good people, really. They want to help each other. They... You know, you go into other industries, they're always fighting each other. That's true. You know, yeah, so. I've had com I have worked with bakers who were in direct competition with us. And when we have extra line time, we let them use it. And when we're out of line time, they let us use their lines, you know. So you're right. Bakers are very competitive, but supportive at the same time. Um, <coughs> and that's truly one of the lessons I've learned, too, um, in the baking industry. What does... Millby Bakery Group half that other companies don't? So, you know, just imagine a large corporation, you know, Millby is, is in total close to, we're running this year at $3 billion. The bakery group is above $160 million. Mm -hmm. So just imagine a large corporation that is being run by entrepreneurs where bureaucracy doesn't exist, where you're allowed to make mistakes, mm -hmm. where you're not allowed to sit still and not do anything, and where fast failure is encouraged. So it's, it's a small business that has a huge impact, and, and the scale is much bigger than a small business, but it's got a small business mentality. It is hard to really accept the fact that um, failure is part of what you guys accept. How do you encourage that in your company culture? So we got, we got a slogan at Middleby, and, and this is what I've learned. First thing is I try to take the value of Middleby in food service. Mm -hmm. So Middleby has one piece of equipment in every third restaurant in the world, so they, they must have been successful at it. And, and the, the, the thing that drove Middleby to success was innovation. And you cannot be innovative and be careful in how you innovate. You have to innovate and fail and innovate and fail. Hopefully you don't do it three times in a row and then you're going to innovate and then succeed. And this is the essence of Middleby. You know, think innovation, think Middleby. That's our slogan. Now today we, we were concentrating on um, the topic of how to build out a bakery. Can you please share an experience on how building a bakery went wrong? Since we're talking about failures. <laughs> That's funny. Typically, people ask about successes, and people tend to be very, uh, very uh, explicit in their successes, in right. failures, right? I think I, think I personally mm. learn mm. more from failure, and bakers mm. are very entrepreneurial. Mm. Um, our listeners especially make right. a lot of mistakes. I, I fully agree. So this show is about helping them well, you I'll know, tell you how my, to make those dis mistakes and right. how to get out of it. I'll tell you my biggest failure in bakery. You know, I was two years in my wholesale bakery and I said, oh, I'm, you know, top of my act. I want to open also a retail bakery. I went, rented out the most expensive bakery shop in Washington, D.C. on K Street. Back then, it used to pay $120,000 rent for a very small shop. Mm 
you know, which in today's terms should be like a million and a half. Didn't have the money, didn't, didn't have the staff. I, I took over and I opened a bakery that was based on sourdough bread, artisan bread, and this is 1989 when crusty bread didn't exist in right. the US. Nobody ever thought of you know, the, 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 the baguette was, you know, barely, you know, stick bread, barely. You Everything know, was even. white pan bread, right. basically. And uh, brought a baker, uh, brought a French oven, uh, uh, started my, my sourdough uh, bread starter, and, and, you know, I was at the entrance of a metro station. I mean, the location was right, the quality was fantastic, the, uh, the, 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 the product, the variety, you know, everything was fantastic. That failure cost me $600,000. Wow. And I, $600,000 I didn't have. So it took me years to recover. Right. So what was my lesson there? Yeah, okay. I was just going to ask you that next. So my lesson, I was, I was go doing well in my wholesale and manufacturing. And so I couldn't share my time in two places at the same time. So you got to focus in one area and don't be arrogant. Stay modest. Stay, you know, stay the track. Do what you're doing good. You know, and then once your business is stable and so you can go and try another venture. So that was lesson one. Lesson two, never start a trend. So I wanted to start a trend, right. crusty trend. So I lived in France, I, I knew what crusty bread is and sourdough bread. You know, who am I to, to educate, you know, the three million Washingtonian? You know, I was nobody and I couldn't, didn't have neither the, the power, the, 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 the marketing the, budget, nothing. <laughs> and then what really made it worse is, so I shut down, I shut yeah. down the store and I had to pay rent for 10 years. Wow. $60,000 every year, $5,000. I could, yeah, it was a personal, uh, so a year later, a year later, just a year later, another smarter guy who was, who had the better timing, better exposure, opened a store, what used to be uh, Marvelous Market in Washington, D.C. on Connecticut, Connecticut Avenue. So Mark Futzenberg did pretty much the same, maybe better, I don't know, but, you know, he had the exact same idea and he could not... Uh, produce enough bread so people were queuing up in his bakery and you know he used to shut down at 10 o'clock 12 o'clock 2 o'clock and not allow any more uh, you know yeah because he couldn't produce enough so the timing so his timing a year later okay what what was the difference well okay so he's got the exposure yep. you know Washington Post wrote about him he had people there I think his sister or some in the family he was but, fully vested in right, the and business then, to push Right, and you know, and right. people like me had started this, so I wasn't the only guy. A couple of guys failed to that yeah. year. Yeah. And then, and then, so don't, you know, if you want to set a trend, a new thing, be careful, well, it's very expensive. Or make sure that you have... The firing the, power. Yeah, right. right. Don't right. just go at it with barely anything. I mean, it takes a lot just to cover cash flow. We all know that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that, that's a great advice. Um, so what is your best advice on starting a bakery or building a bakery? So I, I don't want to enter this, answer this in a classical way because, you know, <laughs> everybody's going to tell you, know your customer, know your market. Right. 
Yeah, let's not yeah, start with cliches. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think that first you have to have the passion because bakeries is a business of pennies. It's not a business of dollars. Every loaf of bread, if you can save a few pennies there, that's what's going to make it. Can we ever change that? That is, that is yeah, very sad. I think it's changing. Now, unfortunately, the large companies are still in the older model and the more nimble company are in the uh, new model. So newer model, more versatile, more versatile, yeah. bringing value, you know, right. bringing a solution that they can charge for it. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think you got two types of bakers. You got two industry, right? You got the retail and you got the food service. Yes. And what I've noticed is that food service tend to be more nimble and more reactive and creative. Why? Because food service customers are very demanding in terms of creativity, quality. And they change their mind very often too. Correct. And they Customi have lots of offerings, right? Absolutely. The customization, their, their uniqueness. So they really challenge the baker. And those bakers that go into the food service tend to survive and thrive. Retail bakers on the opposite, you know, the retail is a, you can see, you know, it's a mass murder in retail, uh, you know, <laughs> since, since, you know, uh, uh, Whole Food now became a f part of Amazon and, and Walmart drove the price down. And so, so th there's a whole uh, new uh, dimension change, of comp right? competition. So, you know, if, if you listen to certain people in 10 years, you, there is no supermarket to drive by. You, you, right. You'll get your stuff uh, at home. I don't know if it's right. Oh, I think Amazon's going to push that for sure. Yeah. And the yeah. more customized uh, nutritional solutions, more customized taste. A consumer has all the power. We don't. <laughs> right. So if you're going to start a bakery and go for retail, okay, if you, you have something so unique, you know, back then, you know, Dave Killer's bread. Okay, okay. this is one good example. That's excellent. Uh, organic bread. Yeah. Okay, but now it's everybody's doing organic. Everybody. So, I, I, you know, in retail. So you need to have something special, something that it's hard to compete against. And that's like, you know, that's like, at the very base, but this is not what's going to make you successful. That's true. But in retail, really, when I say retail, if you're going to go and brand your product, package it and sell it at the supermarket, your chances of succeeding is very little. Yes, totally. Because, right. you know, to get your message across, get that consumer to buy your package. So you're, you're kind of better off going and identifying a need in the market around the food service mm -hmm. rather or the restaurant or, you know, the special... Uh, you know, food is served everywhere now. So, mm -hmm. so finding the niche there and then from there, maybe backtrack and, 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 and try to get in the retail. But again, typically you look at all the success stories in, in, in our time, you know, uh, the Pepperidge Farm, the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the companies that have a good brand typically are lousy at going on food service. And, and the opposite is true. You know, that the companies true. that are very good in retail. <laughs> right, are not or, good at food service uh, yeah, or, or co-manufacturing. Right. Focus on one segment. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so, you know, that's, that's one advice. So, you know, I can. As a, as, as a person who has worked in the baking industry for a while myself, I have seen, um, both sides work, right? But now I see an influx of bakery startups. What is your advice for bakery startups launching a branded product and has extra or excess line capacity? Do they go into co-manufacturing 
or should they just concentrate on launching that branded product? Yeah, very. That, that's good. that's the question that's always been on my mind. Very, very yeah. good question. So, right. so imagine your bakery like like an airplane, right? So in an airplane, at least the model used to be first class customers pay top dollars, and discounted economy pay bottom dollars. So, if you're gonna go with that idea of co-packing and and also creating your own brand and so you got to look at the airline industry and guess what it failed so so you cannot you know co-pack and sell discounted economy class ticket and first class and sell a branded product you got to choose what is it that you are you know you, you look at southwest airlines they're fantastic because they know exactly what they are they bring value to their customer. Budget airlines, that's all you get. <laughs> right. So, so the smart baker is going to have to figure out how to position what is his value proposition. And no one ever, ever should go into the business in bakery specifically based on price because he'll get killed. You know, we have amazing operators. Why? Because of the margins? Because you have large operators that making 10,000 loaf an hour, uh, you know, 60, 80,000 bonds an hour, that, that they're lo- low cost of production, amazing yeah. uh, distribution. That, you know, they, they can't compete with them on price. That's true. So, so, you know, price cannot be your differentiator. So what's your differentiator? It, it, it's going to be, well, honestly, it's three things that never used to coexist. So it used to be either you offer quality, you offer price or you offer speed and it's never the three together yeah and it used to be you know i used to tell my customer okay i can give you two of the three (laughs) well in 2018 you got to give them three of the three so you got to be fast you got to be offering quality and you got to offer it at a great value so uh, not positioning it on price but positioning it on service, positioning it on, okay, everybody wants to sell quality. Everybody says that I have quality, I have quality. Honestly, you know, quality is also consistency. Right. So what I'm hearing from you is it's not easy, right? It's not easy running a bakery business and you have to be at the top of your game. You have to give it your all. And basically, if you have an innovative product, it just doesn't take only that to create a successful bakery business. It also takes all these other things. So what is your perception of bringing on a team rather than, you know, sole single single founders? Because this sounds to me like you need a lot of help from a lot of sites. And, and could that possibly be one of your biggest struggle when you were a sole founder of your, your, your bakery that failed? So Lynn, you're a small business owner and you know that small business we all have big dreams yes. and and big dreams you cannot execute your big dreams you can either execute them in small steps or you need help to execute them in bigger steps so it's a choice it's a matter of personal choice some can be very successful in doing it on their own and in small steps and they'll be very happy because at the end of the day you know why are you in business you know, why, why are you in business? It's to improve your quality of life, to improve the quality of life of the people that you are touching in your business. So you're going to have to be happy in it. So mm-hmm. what makes you happy is what should drive your business. So you can either go and try to raise 
few million dollars and get the equipment that you want and mm -hmm. the site that you want and that's a good one mm -hmm. and you can equally be happy and successful and and you know change your 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 immediate environment your 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 uh, where you're living and and to a smaller business that will touch people life equally as well both are successful both are right? successful there is not right. one model really that uh, so uh, well, thank you for sharing your wisdom today. I sure did learn a lot about your perspective on running businesses. I wish I have more time to interview you, but our listeners are definitely appreciative of your time. Thank you, Mark. Lynn, you're amazing in this industry. Thank you for uh, doing what you're doing. And I think uh, we all enjoy uh, listening to you. And I hope, uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll keep listening to your uh, podcast uh, moving forward. Thank, thank you. you. Thank right, you. Thanks. I'd like to thank our sponsor, the Middleby Bakery Group, for sponsoring this podcast. I'm podcasting from their new Bakery Innovation Center. With over 2 million invested into this center last year, together with new Sweba Dalen equipment, this center caters to your product development needs. To use this facility, contact Len Kilby today at info at middlebybakerygroup.com. Today, we welcome Jeff Deerdorf. He is an experienced baker with over 40 years in the baking industry. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, um, what is your current position right now, and who do you work for? So after 40 years working in bakeries and uh, maintenance operations and uh, various positions of leadership, uh, I joined the Austin Company, which is a supplier to the baking industry. And mm -hmm. My role there is corporate director of baking and snacks, and my uh, objective is to uh, work with our client base in the baking industry specifically, and uh, and be ready to uh, handle projects for them uh, on a number of different fronts. That's a really interesting job. Um, I don't even know where to start in terms of building a bakery. Would you be able to give me a rundown on, you know, possibly the top, thing, top 10 things to know about building a bakery or a food plant design? Sure, Lynn. So, you know, if you're going into a, a project where you're either building a bakery from the ground up you're renovating a building that you found that might have been used for another purpose. Or you you see a lot of these spec buildings around the country now where developers are building a big box and then you can go in and fit them out how you need them. Mm -hmm. No matter which way you approach that project, uh, there's a, a few things that are, that are really key as you're thinking about going into it. One is, is it in the right location? And you want to make sure that uh, the local municipality, the utility, uh, and all the regulations that might be around that, that site, uh, you know, fit uh, food processing, fit the baking, uh, and make sure that uh, the regulatory agencies uh, are, are uh, you know, willing to work with you uh, to come onto that site. Uh, another uh, extremely important factor in, in picking where you're going to be, again, whether it's a piece of dirt that you're going to put a building on or, or take it over something else, is logistics. Is it where you want to be? Right. Do you have the highways where you need them? Do you have the rail lines available to you? 
mm-hmm. uh, you have uh, easy in and out access, uh, you know, to the neighborhood. Uh, you want to you want to make sure that that is all in good shape because uh, you've got a lot of inbound raw materials coming, uh, bulk ingredients, a lot of trucking, uh, and then you have your employees and you need to get there. So uh, logistics of that side is very important. Correct. But so to to clarify, you do offer that service too, right? Uh, we certainly do. Okay. Because yeah, to me that's like that's like I need someone experienced to work on this project. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Continue on. Continue on. Okay. Uh, but the most important part about site selection today is the availability of labor. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at when you look at a site, you look at a neighborhood, you look at the industrial park, you need to really do a good study to make sure that the labor that you're going to need in numbers is available, uh, that it's uh, you know somewhat skilled if possible, mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, we see a lot of companies uh, making decisions, especially going into spec buildings, uh, because the building sitting there is pretty, it's ready to go. And uh, and they get there, and all of a sudden they can't find enough people to man man the bakery. So uh, that is so sad. Yeah, yeah. Um, besides uh, location, what else should the baker look at? Well, once you got your location figured out, then you're going into your design, and you start with uh, you know how do you maximize that site that you just took over. Uh, whether you're going to put your own roads in or you're using roads from other folks. You've got a lot of things to think about. You've, again, you've got uh, a lot of freight coming in, a lot of freight going out. Uh, you've got employees coming in and out and visitors. So you want to make sure you look at things like how do I separate uh, truck traffic from car traffic so that I'm not intermingling. Uh, I want to give the trucks nice space and nice turnaround areas right. so that uh, they're, not, they're not getting pinched in. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're if you're working from rail cars, uh, you want to make sure that uh, that that's going to work you know, on the site for you as well. All right. Um, what other things do they need to look at um, in terms of maybe food safety or you know uh, energy sources? Sure. And, and, you know, as you start to design the bakery, uh, snack plant, whatever it might be, uh, you definitely have to take in. Uh, all the food safety and, and, and food and, and importantly, food security measures right. required today not only protect your, your company, but to protect your consumers. So uh, a number of things in the design of a, of a building uh, is is what what are the what are the walls made? Right. You know, some walls can be sealed tight. Other walls require some extra measures to get them to seal tight. You want to keep the pests out. You want to keep dust out from, from the outside. And then once you got your uh, box built, you want to make sure it's pressurized to make sure that those uh, infiltrators don't come into the, the building. You also want to look at services inside. You want to look at finishes. You know, back in the day, we used to paint everything white. <laughs> today, you don't, you don't necessarily want to do that because uh, paint eventually peels. Right. And it also has to be repainted time and time again. So you look at concrete finishes, you look at uh, insulated metal panels that uh, you might put up against a concrete wall which has a baked on finish that will last forever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
and then the other the other part of it is floors and drains. Right? I was just going to ask you that. What are the most popular selection of flooring these days for bakery plants? You know, it, it, it's interesting. You, you go back uh, because of food sanitation. Everybody was putting in the epoxy floors, right? Uh, whether, whether it was a, a, a rolled-on epoxy or it was a built-up type uh, system. Mm-hmm. And uh, today, you're seeing uh, you're seeing that more strategically used in a build, where there might be some acidic action going on, some heavy chemicals. The rest of the bakery, you're seeing a lot of companies choose and a lot of construction. Uh, uh, designs can uh, choose to go with a polished, uh, hardened concrete. Okay. In some cases, uh, you can dye the concrete to make it look like uh, wood, or you can make it look like that's uh, neat. Color that you right. Uh, so a number, number of things are. And it's so easy to clean that too. It's so easy to maintain and you know schedule a proper sanitary uh, sanitation um schedule around a concrete floor so yeah yeah concrete certainly you know if it's done properly it's certainly easy to sweep and, and easy to clean and, yeah. and uh, wash down if needed but what you have to be careful about is the, uh, basically the adhesion or the, the slip resistance of the finish and uh there, there are floors, uh, floor finishes that, um, you know, can be very, very slick. And we don't want that tree plant because that would just lead to accidents. Um, so I have an interesting question here. Which is the most expensive plant to build? A brat plant? A cookie plant? A, you know, non-dough, non non-fermentation plant? Pizza plant? I mean, in your point of view, you know, non-frozen storage, which is the most expensive kind of plant to build? That's a, that's a tricky question. <laughs> uh, it, really, it really comes down to, uh, it really comes down to the owner uh-huh. they're desiring to do. Because to be honest with you, all those different food processing uh, plants that you just mentioned, should require the same finishes, should require right. the same uh, build style. Right. Uh, so it really comes down to how far does an owner want to take it to, to be the best they can be. Um, but I would say that if you really broke it down, you start getting into frozen doughs or you start getting into um, bakery plants that might have some USD component to it. Yeah. Uh, now, you gotta, now you have to put in uh, walk-on ceilings. You have to That's put, true. You know, rooms inside the building to, to kind of cordon off uh, mm-hmm. raw from the ready to eat. So I would say you start getting a little more expensive there than you would if you're building a high-speed loaf bread or high-speed hamburger bun plant, where your, your concerns of, of those things are somewhat less. I'm not going to say it's, it's that much less, but it's mm-hmm. Yes, I agree with that. So, Jeff, what is the most challenging thing that you have experienced as a plant engineer building out plants? Well, that's, that's, a, that's a good one, Lynn. Uh, I guess what comes to my mind first is uh, back in uh, you know, 1998, I was involved in building a bakery in Japan just outside of Tokyo. I think the biggest challenge there was uh, the language. <laughs> uh, the, the bakery is very similar mm-hmm. to what uh, what we were 
be honest with you, in Japan, in California, uh, one of the things that, that come into play that you don't have in the Midwest or in this coast type scenario is the seismic condition for the earthquake. Wow. That you have to build into the, into the facility. Mm-hmm. So uh, that adds a little bit more uh, design, a little bit more structure, and uh, you know, creates a little more challenge uh, and expense uh, you know, to get the project finished. That sounds really challenging. Um, I personally don't want to be responsible for that, Jeff. I'm glad someone like you, so experienced, you're doing it. Um, it scares me to death to think that I'm, I will be responsible for the safety of the employees in the plant. <laughs> um, well, Jeff, I really appreciate that you came onto our show today. Um, are there any last things you want to share about building out a plant? I think, I think the main thing is, is you want to you want to uh, you know think about what you're going to put in that plant as well. You got to buy equipment. You got to have a processing system mm-hmm. that's got to go in there. So when you when you look at your equipment choices, make sure that the vendor you're you're working with is following all the latest sanitary design standards, and don't be afraid to you know impart some of your own thoughts with those vendors as they go into designing those machines. Right. Uh, that can be that could be one of the most important things long term in your in your sanitation practices, in your cleanliness, and your regulatory compliance. Well, sounds good. Well, thank you for the advice. Thanks for coming onto the show today. Without sponsors like the Middleby Bakery Group, we would not be able to bring you this podcast series. So please visit middlebybakerygroup.com today to learn more about their bakery innovation center and how you can use this awesome facility. Well, listeners, these two guests are just awesome, aren't they? Thank you for joining me on this podcast today. Till the next episode, think safely, folks.